Five years ago, a young lady named Brianna Brown was a student at the University of Kentucky. And she was suffering from clinical depression. She'd been diagnosed and she was really having a hard time. And her mother remembers the day. She was back home here in Franklin. That's where she lived. And um, she left her house one morning to go and she said she was gonna go meet a a friend for, for coffee. But her mother could tell that something was wrong, that she was really hurting, that something was going on. And that morning, Brianna didn't go meet a friend for coffee. She did what many other people have tragically done in this town when they've been suffering from depression. She drove out to the Natchez Trace Bridge, which is 155 feet off the ground. And she'd thought about ending her life before, but this day, for some reason, she was determined to follow through with it. The pain was too much, what she was carrying was too much, the walls were closing in, she felt like nobody cared about her. So she got up on top of the bridge, she saw the suicide hotline number written there. She also saw a little bit over, somebody had written, you are loved, but she jumped. The only difference for Brianna was that unlike the other people that have done that before, She survived. The trees below broke her fall and she lived. She had serious injuries to her upper body. She was in the hospital for a long time, but she's one of the very few who have attempted suicide and then lived to tell about it, at least from that particular place. Brianna felt like she had been given a new lease on life. And she's since that time become an outspoken advocate for people with depression and mental illness and people that are in pain and suffering and struggling. And she lets them know there is always hope. And she's used her story to try and keep other people from doing the same thing. Now, many of you know, if you've been at Woodmont for a while, that these type of stories resonate with me because I've experienced suicide in my own family. Uh, We've lived through that as a family. And and one of the things that I believe has not been talked about enough during this pandemic is the mental and emotional toll that it's taken on many people. We talk about masks. We fight over masks. We talk about vaccines. But we have not talked about how many people have really, really struggled during the past 18 or 19 months. I would argue or propose to you today that since World War II, there has never been a period in our history that has had more stress, more fear, more division, more issues that have caused disagreement among family and friends that we have lived through over the past 18 months. And many people who are otherwise doing just fine and living normal lives have been thrown into a complete tailspin, not really of their own choosing. Remember March of 2020? Some of us were on spring break, just a few weeks at home to flatten the curve, remember that? Then everything shut down, kids came home from school, we all worked from home, grocery stores emptied out, calendars cleared. Many were furloughed or laid off that spring, early summer. Then we had the racial tension and the riots across the country in the major American cities. Businesses were burned. 
Stores were looted. Police precincts were attacked. Then the election heated up. Lots of awkward conversations between family and friends. Then the pandemic got worse again over the holidays. Church went back online for a while. Remember, we had Christmas Eve outside, froze our tails off out there. And you had January 6th. I don't have to walk you back through the whole timeline of events. All I'm saying is that in my opinion, there has never been a period of time with more stress, more fear, more anger, more uncertainty, more division than what we have lived through over the past year and a half. Adversity, adversity, adversity. So what I'm doing today is I'm starting a new sermon series on Paul's letter to the Philippians that's called Living with Joy. I believe that Paul's letter to the Philippians is exactly what we all need to hear right now. We need more joy, we need more love, we need more forgiveness, we need more positivity, we need more grace. And we can find all of these things in the four chapters of Philippians. Written around 62 AD, Paul was in prison, most likely in Rome, perhaps Ephesus. Perhaps the most unique letter of all of Paul's letters, not because he's dealing with some doctrinal issue, but because he's basically writing a letter to encourage the people of Philippi, to thank them for supporting him over the years. They even sent a gift to him in prison, and so the letter's full of encouragement and hope. The words joy and peace appear 16 times throughout the letter, becoming the primary theme that Paul wants to lift up. The church at Philippi was the earliest church that Paul had started on the continent of Europe. And, and he visited this, this uh, community twice over the years. He loved the people there. This letter is short, four chapters. You could knock it out in one setting. And perhaps the greatest lesson from Philippians is Paul's challenge for us to live like Christ, to model his humility, and he reminds us that we always get to choose our attitude in life. We may not get to choose our circumstances, we may not get to choose everything that happens to us, but we always get to choose our attitude and how we're going to react or respond. In addition to Philippians, I always usually lift up a book for you if you want to read a book. And the book is one that's been mentioned over the years. It's called The Book of Joy by Bishop Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama. We have them in our bookstore. You can get them on Amazon. But that's a great compliment to this epistle as we, as we study it. So today we're diving into Philippians chapter 1. That's where Pharaoh read. Paul begins by writing, I thank my God every time I remember you constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm confident of this. The one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. So here's Paul writing from prison, telling the Philippians that he's praying for them and that he believes that Christ will continue to do great things in their community, and he's confident that the message of Christ, the message of the gospel, will continue to spread. Then in verse 15, he says, Some proclaim Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. These proclaim Christ out of love, knowing that I have been put here for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but intending to increase my suffering in my imprisonment, what does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true, and in that I rejoice. Paul is saying that regardless of what happens, whether he lives or whether he dies, 
The only thing that matters is that Christ is proclaimed, period. Paul says in Romans, I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. For as it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. That's the theme of Romans found at the beginning of the epistle. What does all this mean? <laughs> Sometimes we can read Paul and, and, and we're like, golly, that's confusing. I'm not quite sure what he's talking about here. What, what do we take from it? Well, first of all, I think it means that most of life, no matter what happens in life, what matters most in life is that Christ is proclaimed. That's the goal for us as Christians, to proclaim Christ and to spread his love to a hurting world that has a lot of darkness and a lot of brokenness and a lot of despair. Christ will do the healing. We just have to point people to him. I love that, that picture that Carl Barth had hanging over the, the desk where he wrote. It was a picture that Matthias Grunewald painted of John the Baptist pointing away from himself to Christ. It said, I must decrease, but he must increase. Beware of preachers that point to themselves. We point to Christ. Secondly, Paul is saying there are people who wish to do him harm. He's in prison. He doesn't know if he's going to get out. A few verses later, he says, for to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. He says, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. In other words, if I'm here, I can proclaim Christ. And if I die, I get to go be with Christ. But he acknowledges that there are people who seek to harm him and do him wrong. He's in prison. There were many who did not appreciate what Paul was trying to do after his conversion. Now, I'll be honest with you. There are people in life that I don't agree with. There are people that I really don't want to be around. Maybe they're negative, maybe they're toxic, maybe they just suck the fun and energy out of the room, I don't know, right? But I have never and I will never understand people who wish to do harm to other people on purpose. I don't get it. Why some people will go out of their way to hurt and harm others is completely beyond me. You don't like somebody, that's okay. You, you don't agree with them, that's okay. The world is full of people who don't agree with each other. You don't want to be around them, that's okay. But for God's sake, don't go out of your way to make somebody else's life miserable. Leave them alone. Life is hard enough. And as Christians, we are called to remember that everybody is made in the image of God. We are all God's children. Megan is a doctor and, and doctors take the Hippocratic Oath, do no harm. And I've often thought about that as it relates to the rest of us who may not be doctors. Is it possible to live our lives doing no harm to other people? I don't know but we at least should try, right? Lastly, this morning, 
In Philippians, Paul is saying that despite all the adversity, despite people seeking to harm him, despite power grabs and arguments and all the other hard parts of life, joy can still be experienced in Christ. What's joy? That's an important question. That's a question I want to explore in the coming weeks. I gave the kids a formula for joy, Jesus, others, yourself. You've heard me say before, we've got a lot of yoge in our culture, yourself, others, maybe Jesus. We need more joy. Joy is what we have been missing in our culture over the past 18 months. Joy is what makes life worth living. It's a, it's a friendship built on trust. It's a baby being born. It's celebrating 20 or 30 or 40 years of marriage. That's a big deal. Maybe it hadn't been perfect, but you've hung in there. You've raised your kids. You've, you've gotten them educated. You've loved them unconditionally. Joy is going out of your way to help somebody who's hurting. Maybe they're going through a divorce. Maybe they're battling addiction. Maybe they're drinking too much. Joy is going down to Waverly and helping uh, us people rebuild houses that they lost in the flood. Woodmont's been doing that. Joy is going over to Fall Hamilton and being a reading buddy or a lunch buddy to our adopted school. Joy is building a habitat house or traveling to Guatemala uh, and seeing the children that we sponsor and that we build houses for. These are the things in life that bring us joy. But joy always involves moving beyond self. That's what Yale theologian Miroslav Wolf says. He's done a lot of research on joy. And we can always do that even in the face of great adversity and challenge. Now, I mentioned this book of joy uh, this morning. Farrell and I have loved that book ever since it was published. It's just it's great. But in the book, Bishop Tutu and the Dalai Lama identify obstacles of joy and pillars of joy. And it's important to be aware of both. So let me close this morning by naming three obstacles of joy and then three pillars of joy. Obstacles, fear and anxiety. We cannot live our lives afraid all the time. It sucks the joy out of everything. You can't be in the present if you're always afraid. It's hard to love when you're always afraid. It's hard to enjoy life when you're always afraid. It's hard to be there for other people when you're always afraid. Frustration and anger. Rarely does anything good come from getting angry or acting out in anger. Anger is a human emotion that we all have, but we must find healthy ways to deal with it. In Ephesians, it says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And then the third obstacle that I lift up this morning is loneliness. The feeling that nobody cares about you and that you don't have any friends. You know, that's been one of the worst parts of the pandemic. It's made people feel even lonelier than they were before. And, and, and we had a loneliness epidemic before COVID. Read Ben Sass's book, Them. Read Johan Hari's book, Lost Connections, where he talks about depression and how uh, essentially he thinks that a big part of depression is people losing connections with, uh, with others and with their work and with uh, people that they love. Now, three pillars of joy to close this morning. The first is humor. You know, I knew that the pandemic was really getting to me when I started to lose my sense of humor. Um, we need to laugh more. That's why I hang around Donovan, right? Uh, 
Donovan takes a full-time job at Belmont. I'm like, no, you're going to stay here at least part-time. I need you. I need you, Donovan. You know, laughter is the shortest distance between two people. Um, <laughs> I was at Chuck E. Cheese yesterday with my five-year-old for a birthday party. What do you do? <laughs> what do you do when you run into a family that says they haven't been at church because they're worried about COVID and you see them at Chuck E. Cheese? <laughs> Ready for you to come back whenever you want. (laughs) Don't bring that COVID from Chuck E. Cheese to church. (laughs) Uh, I heard a great lawyer joke this week at lunch. Said a lawyer dies and goes to heaven. St. Peter says, welcome, welcome. We're so glad you finally got here. And uh, and the lawyer said, well, what do you mean? And St. Peter says, well, well, according to your your billable hours, you are 463 years old. Or the story about the IRS calling the Catholic parish, the priest answered the phone. Uh, is this St. Luke's parish? It is. Are you Father McAnally? I am. Uh, did Bob O'Brien give $20,000 to your church last year? He will. <laughs> Second pillar, forgiveness. Letting go of the things that have happened in the past, not holding on to them forever. Forgiveness is a recipe for survival. If we don't forgive and move on, we will crash and burn. There's too much hurt and too much pain in life to just keep holding on to it forever. Forgive and let it go. And then gratitude. Being thankful for what we have. Taking the time to acknowledge our blessings, especially as we draw closer to the, to the holiday season, Thanksgiving, Christmas. If you spend your life focused on what you don't have, what other people have, then you won't be thankful. I'm looking forward to this series on Philippians, and I encourage you to read it on your own. It's a short book. And I'm looking forward to talking about what it means to find joy, because I would again argue that we all need to experience more joy in our lives right now. This book, this epistle, at least in my opinion, couldn't be more timely. Amen.